welcome back to Simply Soccer. I am your host, Michelle Hootink, back with my co-host, Christian Conway. Preseason showers bring regular season flowers. And it certainly feels like spring here in Southern California at 86 degrees. Um, and we are happy to bring you U.S. men and L.A. Galaxy news because this is what you come here for. So we thank you very much. And um, I mean, as cold as it was in Minnesota, we are we are far from that today. Um, the U.S. men uh, actually looked really good, but my take is that Honduras made us look better than we really are. Now, the U.S. losing to Canada, you know, Canada is a good team. All the credit to Canada. It's amazing what they're able to do right now. The U.S. is in a better spot, um, sitting in second place. They can actually qualify as soon as March 24th if they can beat Mexico and Azteca, which I know seems like a very challenging, unlikely Thing right now um you know christian i can't wait to hear your defense of berhalter as well well i i think it, it, this this will surprise a lot of people I, I don't think i can defend him right now because i think yes you know they did, they did the job what they needed to do right and i think a lot of this this window and a lot of really the qualification cycle as a as a global thought has been win at home draw on the road win at home draw on the road the Canada loss, I think a lot of people took a little bit more seriously than they should have, right? Because I think you look at Canada, an undefeated team has not lost a game of qualification yet, marched down to the Azteca and probably should have beaten Mexico, for example, a bit ago, losing to Canada on the road in a game where a lot of the players came out and said, look, we just didn't execute the game plan. The game plan was fine. We just didn't have it. And that's acceptable. That's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, and I mean, you know, honestly, Canada was so much better on the day. And I, I think... We can pull that Canada game out and say that's just an outlier of a result. Canada's been so good. They've been the best team. Losing on the road in Canada when everyone else has done it isn't the end of the world. But I look at the performance at the beginning of this window against El Salvador, right? Like, it just looked so slow and uninspired. And I I rarely... It looked plotting. And I think that wasn't great. Now, I, I understand... What Bear Halter, and I'm going to be highly critical of the Federation from here on out for the next two minutes. Bear with me. I understand what Bear Halter was saying, and I agree with him that when you look at this window, El Salvador at home, Canada away, Honduras home. The best way to handle this window is to lower your travel times, right? And so that's why they picked a set of cities. And I and and um, you know our friend Leslie went on this trip, and um, I looked at at doing this window. You know, it was it was a five hour drive in between the cities. That makes a lot of sense, right? Because Honduras literally talked about before this game how they had to travel ten hours from San Pedro Sula to get to the United States to play in Minnesota. If you have that advantage, use it. I get it. But you, it, it the Honduras game. Yes, the midfield looked brilliant. Uh, it finally looked like a U.S. performance where I was like, okay, you know, this makes a ton of sense. I mean, obviously, set pieces. Finally, they got it going. You know, on that front, Weston McKinney, excellent through the air. Of course, Walker Zimmerman's always going to score in a set, dangerous set piece. It's what he's good at. Getting Christian Pulisic firing after what has been a, what I will say, perplexing time at Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel uh, is all really critical. And, you know, you look at the window coming up. You mentioned we start at the Azteca. 
I don't think winning at the Azteca is as far-fetched as it is in normal windows, kind of looking at the way Mexico's played. I especially think the game against Panama, Mexico got very lucky to get out of that game. Um, but, you know, obviously they're going to beat Panama at home. Panama's not been particularly inspiring on the road. Uh, and then maybe you need a point in Costa Rica, but I, I think three points is going to get it done this window. But it, it, looking at that Honduras team and having watched them last year in the Nations League final, I see no reason why you, three to four days prior to that game, right? You go to Columbus before you go to Canada in order to acclimatize the players and whatever have you. I get it. But watching that game against Honduras, did anyone look like they enjoyed that? Did anyone at any point between coaching staffs, players, referees, support staff, whatever makes a game happen, or the goalkeeper for Honduras that needed treatment for hypothermia yeah, in the like, locker room? <laughs> at some point, and, and, and the failure falls on a lot of people here, right? Like it, it falls on, on CONCACAF for not saying, hey, you know, we can't do this. It falls on the referee because the referee's primary job is player safety, and he failed there. It, it falls on U.S. soccer for kind of looking at this game and saying, you know, honestly, we could play this anywhere because Honduras is dragging the table right now. I, they, they have not been good. Um, and I think you saw that in, in St. Paul. I mean, they were quite frankly dreadful. But did anyone look at this and say, this is acceptable? And, and I understand. So the argument that U.S. soccer made afterwards was, hey, you know, here's the average temperature in this week in February for Minnesota. And I think it was something like 22 degrees or something like that, right? That's cool. And like at that point, then it's acceptable. Like I get it. You're using the geographical advantage that you you should be using in the World Cup qualifiers. Because, I mean, for example, we know Bolivia always plays at seven or, you know, what, however many feet in, at elevation, like 12,000 feet or whatever. And that's an advantage. We've seen the photos of, you know, like, for example, the Brazilian players literally at halftime when they play in, in, in La Paz, like sucking down oxygen tanks because it's so high up. You know, there's a reason Mexico always puts us at the Azteca, why they play every game at Azteca. It's 8,000 feet elevation in a city that's notorious for having bad air quality. Like, I understand using your geographical advantages for World Cup qualifying. World Cup qualifying is a pass or fail test. It's not a, you know, it, it doesn't have feelings. And so so I understand, you know, kind of looking at winter in the United States. And I mean, Canada's guilty of this. I mean, they played, um, they played Mexico in... Uh, in Alberta, they, they made it as difficult as possible. I get it. But you have to look at this game where it's zero degrees at kickoff, right? Or five degrees at kickoff, however cold it was. And at some point, just the understanding of player safety and the respect of the game, I think here, has to take over, right? And you could play... And, and it had to have been like Mexico or it had to have been like a must-win qualifier against Costa Rica. Maybe I'm a little bit less harsh about this. But it's Honduras. They're not qualifying. We know that. They've, they've been eliminated for, for months on end right now. If you want to play it in a place where it's cold in the middle of February, right? Kansas City or something like that where it's a little bit more rational, a little bit more reasonable. Um, that being said, mm -hmm. if you're going to use your geographical talents to your abilities, then yes, Minnesota in the middle of winter makes a ton of sense. But I think with regards to the soccer I've talked a lot about the 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 off-field stuff, and, and I'll, I'll dive into the on-field stuff here in a second. I think in terms of the soccer that you're going to play, if you want to build momentum going into March, which the United States needs to do, 
I would have looked at that Minnesota game and said, this doesn't help us because we're suffering the same as them. And if, if anything, I expected Honduras to maybe steal a goal or two because it was so cold and so frozen. And just you watch moments in that game where like in the midfield, the ball is bobbling around. And if Fairholter is trying to build the style that is built around using McKenney, using Pulisic, using Tyler Adams, using, you know, Yunus Musa, you know, these great midfield pace merchants. Well, then why are you going to a place where the field is is frozen, right? You know, like, what's the point there? Like, where, where do they learn about this? And I, I think, you know, in terms of getting the job done, yes, they did that. That was the most important thing. And it's puts them in a prime position to get at least three points out of the next window and go through. It, it does. And that's from, you know, our perspective as U.S. soccer fans, that's the most important thing, right? That after 2018, after what happened, the most important thing right now for the U.S. men's national team is to qualify for the World Cup. It doesn't matter how they do it stylistically. It doesn't matter how they do it. You know, and, and we can complain about stylistically. We can complain about player selection. We can complain about, you know, Bear Halter and his weird insistence with antagonizing the U.S. fan base at every opportunity he gets. All that matters, and I said it earlier, World Cup qualifying is a pass or fail test. The United States has to pass it, and they've put themselves in a position to do so. I just think the way that they have gotten to that position is, is a concern, and it's a certain level of arrogance that we saw in 2017 leading into 2018 where I'm thinking to myself, I've seen this story before, and I'm a little bit worried about this level of arrogance that the United States has kind of approached these last two windows with where I'm like, I don't think you've earned that right just yet. Yeah, the, the United States is, is a young team right now. I understand that, you know, it, it was interesting. What, what made me interested in, in hearing from you today, Christian, is because so many people are always, you know, obviously criticizing Berhalter. I was one of those people that was like, I'm not about him. And then I saw one of your tweets um, I believe it was after that Canada match, you, you know, where people were just super down on Amber Halter and, and you seem to be in defense of him at, at that time. Like, I understand right now we're on the cusp of qualifying and, and like you said, like you can't really defend him right now because that that's how I was. That's how I was feeling. I was like, this this really has to show you know, there's going to be struggles, especially uh, in a CONCACOF uh, situation. You know, it's always been that way. But, you know, where where do you start? Where does your optimism start to waver, I guess is what I mean. Because you, at one point, yeah, you really did seem like you were behind Berhalter when the rest of us were not. I, so I, I want to clarify, clarify that tweet because I think <laughs> it, it misrepresents a lot of what I think about Berhalter, which is that, I am in support of Bearhalter simply because of results, right? He beat mm -hmm. Mexico three times in a year in competitive matches. No coach has ever done that. He won the inaugural Nations League. He won the Gold Cup. Like, you can't, to fire him right now would be suicide. I mean, it, it legitimately, and then I, I, I go to a lot of people that want to fire Bearhalter because they want a more stylistically excellent coach or, or something like that. Or someone more experienced, go for an Argentinian coach or something. Or something like yeah. that, exactly. Um, and my question is, well, who right now is on the market? Because I think the one coach that I would have looked at and said, all right, you know, if you're going to move Bearhalter, maybe you go for him and you, you hope it works as Antonio Conte or something like that. And 
they're all off the market. They took club jobs, um, which I guess into a larger conversation about club versus international soccer and yada, yada, yada. I, I do think firing Bearhalter because he's been so successful is rash. What I would say is I think there are there are certain moves that Bearhalter has made, certain statements that he's done that I'm starting to again, I'm going to use this word. I'm starting to think he's getting a little arrogant for his positioning. Mm-hmm. I don't think he understands the federation that he currently coaches for and the fan base that it engenders. And I also don't think he understands fully how scarring what happened in 2017 in Trinidad was to this fan base. And I think he's already looking at Qatar this winter. And I think a lot of us, you know, you, myself, and and U.S. fans that tune into the show are saying, wait just a minute. You know, like, we have to get there first. And I think... That's the critical rub here, and I think like a lot of the comments around the uh, the uh, the Minneapolis game and you know the Canada game were this this weird blend of lack of self awareness and arrogance about where we are as a federation right now. Do I think he's the right man for the job at this point in time? Yes. Do I think after the World Cup he's the right person for the job? Then I start having my questions. Yeah, and, and I appreciate the clarification. And, and then as well, yeah, I'm not saying let's fire Burhalter, especially right now. Like you said, this is critical time for for us to qualify. Um, I mean, we're locked, we're locked in. Like, he, he cannot go anywhere <laughs> at this point. Like, I just, yeah. even if we wanted to, we're locked in. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, uh, you know, I think a lot of our fans come from a, well just get the coach out mentality and let's be fair a lot of our our fans are LA Galaxy fans as well so I I understand where that's all coming from um but I would say we we just have to finish out this Berhalter reign and then we can start looking after this you know um because I mean I never really saw Berhalter as the permanent U.S. men's coach either you know I mean the U.S. has changed coaches anyhow yeah I I I, I questioned the appointment when it happened. I, I've mm-hmm. been surprised that they've succeeded almost in spite of him. It feels like at times. Um, I think that I think that game against Honduras in in Minneapolis was was one of those instances where you know Bearhalter gets this harebrained idea to go to the coldest place in the world that he can find, but the team is not built for cold weather. And and that's another thing is like maybe it's a different story if like we have the the U.S. men's national team being out of the twenty three players called in every window. 17 of them are MLSers like it used to be in, you know, 2008 and whatever have you. But I mean, a lot of these guys don't play in those conditions anymore, you know, like mm-hmm. Chelsea and, and, you know, Leipzig and, and, you know, whatever clubs, you know, uh, Lille and, and whatever, you know, they, they don't play in conditions where it's that cold, you know, like, I mean, it gets down to like 30, 40 degrees, but it's not like it's, you know, that. And I, 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 I just, I think, it's, it's odd that window, right? Because I think if you had told US fans, you know, put on the blindfold, you don't know what's gonna happen, and you say to me, the United States won both their qualifiers at home, yeah, they lost on the road to the team in CONCACAF that had not lost a game yet. One, I would have said, oh wow, Mexico was really good this qualification cycle. Um, would not have expected Canada. But I would have said this, is a, this, this was a fantastic cycle. And yet we leave this cycle 
And maybe it's and maybe it's what happened in Minnesota and just the weather and the way that game looked on TV, right? Like maybe it's just mm-hmm. the aesthetics of it shaped the way that we look at this window, right? And sports fans in general, and, and we as soccer fans, especially we as Galaxy fans, have this very short-term memory where it's like the last game we saw is every judgment we need to make, right? And so maybe just all the aesthetics of that game and the controversy and Honduras's coach saying, you know, one of the most beautifully artistic quotes about suffering and pain I've ever seen. And when it comes to soccer, it's, you know, he said, this is not for enjoyment. Uh, no, he said, I cannot wait for this match to be over. This is the first time I've ever thought that about a soccer field. This is not for enjoyment. This is suffering, which I texted my friend that that's a Minnesota Vikings fan. And he said, literally, we now have our, our slogan for the team. Um, but, and so maybe that just tinges the way that we talk about this window. But I, I, I think, you know, if you told me six out of nine points with a chance to get three points in the next window and you're in, I'd be opening the champagne right now. 2017 me would be opening the champagne right now. But I, I think it's, it's partially what happened in Trinidad in 2017. I think that, that does tinge a lot of the way that we look at, at what's going on. But also, like, I, I just I, I can't imagine leaving a window where we win both our home qualifiers and all of us kind of looking at each other being like, this doesn't feel good. You know, this is something doesn't feel right here. And I think that's that's a concern for me. And I think it's going to be a concern as we move forward into March and into preparations that it just doesn't feel like this should be a joyous occasion. And yet I'm also the opinion that I'm like, I just don't feel good about this, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it is about it is about moving forward because, you know, as much as you could, you know, say that you know, the U.S. men are a little off with their crosses and corners and maybe the speed of play isn't there, but then, you know, they play against Honduras and then, you know, we're impressed with the effort and, you know, the goals will come. Um, that That's just the thing. It's like, okay, the next game is, is in Azteca and however that's going to go, I, I wouldn't put too much weight on that. That's a very challenging game. And then as I was reading this morning too, it's like, the U.S. can qualify, you know, in that match, but they have to be able to defeat Mexico at the Azteca. And then something, fourth, they something they've Panama, never done. Right. And then fourth place Panama would need to lose at home against Honduras while Costa Rica would need to lose or draw at home against Canada. So I'm not opening the champagne yet. I think that the U.S. is going to qualify. But I say, yeah, you're going to have to wait a couple more matches. <laughs> I, I, I'd say I'd say if they get a point out of the Azteca, which is, which is incredibly doable considering how sure. Tata Martino hates the U.S. right now. Um, I think that's doable. I think if they get three points against Panama at home, regardless of what happens in the Azteca, I, I'd say if you're going, start booking the plane tickets. Otherwise, if you're not going, open the champagne because I think three points at home against Panama gets them through and gets them over the line. Start chilling the champagne. That's, that's my yeah. take. um yeah so thank thank you very much for for all of that um i mean i'm excited this is this is also another thing where i mean when was the last time we were excited for the u.s to to qualify i mean to be honest with you i was so against qatar from the moment it was announced um (laughs) what 10 years ago that that's where over that right or beyond um yeah when they announced that that was going to happen and then they pushed it till november because of the weather um okay you know um as nice as it was to not have a horse in the race in 2018 um obviously you want your team to be there but i mean it was pretty interesting to to just sit back and watch a world cup um oh, it was, it, was yeah. the, it was the best world cup i've ever watched because i didn't care <laughs> 
right? I was just like, is it okay for me to say that I'm okay if we don't qualify? <laughs> but of course I want my team to qualify. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, shall we talk LA Galaxy now? I think I think that's our, uh, that's our that's job. That's our segue? Okay. So um, it is LA Galaxy time. Preseason is looking good, feeling good. The Galaxy are winning. Um, Cabral had a brace. Uh, Jovalich got a, an assist. Um, Julian Araujo is still looking. Oh, wait, no, he wasn't there this last match. Darn it. Um, but, but other than that, yeah, every, everybody's still still looking really, really good. And actually, like Cabral, he's actually looking better than he was. And I know that there's a lot of naysayers and a lot of people who are saying oh well don't be you know too disappointed uh or don't expect too much out of out of cabral because you know it's the preseason but this is one of the best preseason looks that the galaxy have had in years yeah i i, I agree and I, I think watching that game against the revolution i think what what's odd about preseason especially is the fact that and this happens every year, and it's it's not me railing against Vanny or anything like that. Is that we only see results for like the first three games of the preseason. We don't get to watch the team, and it's it's actually fascinating that they've chosen or they chose to to play that third preseason game with a full strength lineup the way they did, and then also to play it in front of fans. Like I, I was I was I was actually rather impressed the fact that they did that. Um, I, I will say Cabral looked fantastic in that game, and and that's the Cabral I wanted to see all of last year. Now we didn't get it for. A, a myriad of reasons, a team that was trying to figure out how to play under Vanny, a team that was, you know, kind of in, in this weird transition year. Um, but I, I want to highlight a couple of other players that I think really impressed me. And, 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 and one of them was Chicharito. I mean, he, his, his running and his work rate always impresses, but I think it's the, the fact that he gets himself into such smart positions in order to be successful. The, the assist on that first goal. And yeah, it's, it's preseason. Like let's, let, let's, <laughs> Okay, let's let's put the overarching global conversation here first. It's preseason, everyone. Step back from the, you know, the cup and take a breath. It's preseason. It's the first game. <laughs> sorry to cut you off, uh, but I I look at how excited I am. But I also want to just let us have nice things. Let me enjoy that Cabral is doing what we wish he would have done. Who cares that it's right now? Like last season, Christian and I harp so much how this is a rebuild year and there's so much still to be done and like we still have to be able to unlock things i mean just like in a video game you don't expect to do well you got to level up why can't cabral level up after one season which which i think we saw and i think what we saw from cabral was just what what struck me against the revolution and the revolution did look a little bit off the pace um it looked like a little bit of a championship hangover for a team that only won the supporter shield what surprised me about Cabral that I think he missed last season was those incisive runs. And you see it on the first goal that that just that brilliant timing to see Chicharito looking for that pass and then to weigh the pass Chicharito fantastic in that. But for him to read the defender and actually make the run, I think was something he missed last year. I think he was a little bit too direct. He was a little bit too. Um, I, I just don't think he read the play as well as he probably should have last year. And I think the two goals that you see is him reading the play a little bit better than you know, he did last year. And, and that can come from, you know, not being familiar with the league and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, but I, I would say, you know, the, the Cabral scores those two goals because the rest of the team was buzzing in a way that I haven't seen this team buzz in a very long time. Um, Julian Araujo on the second assist, he was he, he was there. Um, Ryan Revolution and oh, Julian Araujo. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. 
<laughs> it's, it's a long preseason. Um, Ryan Revolution and Julian Araujo on that second goal was, that was a, that, look for that later in the year because I think that's going to be something that they've got a little bit of a chemistry there, especially with Julian's kind of tendency to be that aggressive in the attack. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this, this, this was a huge moment for Cabral. And I think, you know, you look at the way the crowd reacted and, and I obviously, I, I was unfortunately unable to attend, but you, you saw it on Twitter too, where it's just like, I think this is one of those games where, and yeah, it's preseason, yada, yada, yada. I think this is one of those games where Cabral looks at this and says, oh, okay, I can, I can do something in this league, you know? I thought Jovalich's goal was fantastic. That That's the Jovalich I wanted to see last year. I didn't think mm-hmm. he was as impressive as everyone thinks he is. Um, I, I, you know, Efrain Alvarez was a spark off the bench. He looked electric. I, I don't know what Greg Vanny told Efrain Alvarez last year, but he, he got into his head in a really good way. Um, but the, the, one of the players that I really want to highlight is actually Marky Delgado. I thought he was fantastic in this game. Um, and I had my questions about Jonathan Dos Santos leaving the club. I thought, you know, okay, well, who fills that role? And because and, and, he was, he, I mean, you know, personal bias, full on admitted, he was my favorite Galaxy player of recent memory outside of, you know, my favorite Galaxy midfielder outside of maybe Sasha Kluston, or uh, not Sasha, excuse me, uh, Sarvas and Chininho. I'm not too worried about that anymore. <laughs> like seeing him play last night or uh, the other night, I was I was very impressed, and I think th- th- there's a lot here where I'm like, yes, this is going to be like I-, I see a lot where I'm like, yes, this is going to feel good. Um, I-, I did have my questions about the defense. I thought uh, Sega Kulabali made some decisions that were a little out there, um, but you know that that. That happens in preseason. That's what I'm telling myself, and that's what I'm breathing with. Um, I do think they probably don't know their best starting center back pairing. Again, that's another concern. Um, but I do think, and, and from the rookies, um, I would have liked to see a little bit more from Mutatu, considering how good he had been through the first two scrimmages. I understand that Vanny wanted to run his best starting eleven out and give him a lot of time. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more from him, uh, but but. I think we were texting each other and I said, you know, you've got to feel good about that. You know, if you're in that locker room, you've got to feel good about what you saw against the Revs, who Supporter Shield, let's not forget, Supporter Shield defending champions right now. They're, they're, they're a damn good team. Um, but I think the way that they shut down the midfield and prevented, you know, guys like Heel and Bowen and whatever from, from operating, while also you, taking that space and using it. I think one of the things that really frustrated me about the Galaxy last year was that they were decently good about shutting down midfields but they didn't take the space and they didn't use that space effectively enough. And then it just became bombing long balls to Chicharito or Cabral or Grancier and hoping that there was a moment of magic between the three of them that, that got it done. It did look a lot more composed through the center of midfield. And I think that is where the biggest growth needed to come in terms of having the midfield run a game. And it just felt for 90 minutes, the revolution just did not have an answer. Which did feel good because there's so many X. LA Galaxy players on the revs now. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, yeah, Sa- I- I'm glad <laughs> Sasha oh, yeah. didn't have to travel. Uh, not Sasha, excuse me. Sebastian didn't have to travel too far, depending on the locker room that he was supposed to be in. <laughs> oh God, oh God. So um, yeah, the the Galaxy, you know, are looking promising. They're moving really well. There, there's actual chemistry now. Um, these are the takeaways, you know, that that we have to, even though it's preseason. Look, I've seen Galaxy preseason games where people were expecting so much more and it just it just never came, right? So this is 
you know, I'm excited that there's lots of, of younger players now. Um, Jalen Neal's too bad he couldn't have gotten the the credit for that own goal, huh? I'm, I'm giving it to him. I, I'm, I'm giving it to him. He's, he scored I can't that. I believe. Yeah, I didn't know that he was going to be moving to the first team. I was hoping so. Yeah, yeah. So that I, was really cool. Well, I think what's interesting about that second half, too, which I think that was the high point for me, was seeing, you know, Neil, Jalen and, and, you know, Aguirre and, and, and the kids look that good. And, and look that good in the sense that, you know, I think during preseason, obviously, you know, the first half matters much more than the second half. The second half is when coaches kind of test stuff out, see new mm-hmm. players, whatever have you. And, and usually, you know, I, I, I will say for most preseason games, I usually stop tuning in around the 70th minute because it just doesn't matter after that. But to see them in that moment in and, and, and what could have happened in this game, which is that we hit the 60th minute or the second half, Vandy completely subs out the team, completely new team. And then we could have seen them take their foot off the gas, right? We could have seen them not keep that intensity, keep that momentum. But they did. And they did it in a way that I was like, they're playing New England off the park here. And, and I think that's, that's a critical thing that, that indicates something in the club that maybe Vandy's starting to finally get through to them. And yeah, we've got a full preseason to go. We have Golcello. We have, you know, mm-hmm. at least a new signing and Douglas Costa coming in. You know, they, this will look different than it, than it did on the fifth when we played uh, NYCFC on opening day. It's, go- it's going to look different. But I think what I saw was just a level of intensity from every member of the Galaxy that stepped foot on that field on the fifth that I don't think we've seen in a very long time. And I think that is important. Now, can they sustain it for a full season? I think that's been the question about the Galaxy since 2016. But if they can... You know, the, that's good growth for a club that has really struggled to have identity, focus, and intensity since around 2016. So, Golchella already starts tomorrow. Um, the Galaxy are facing the Seattle Sounders um, at 11 a.m. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be a huge test. And I think that's, you know, the first game of the preseason, everyone feels good. Everyone's, you know, coming back. You know, we're just all having a good time. I think this game against Seattle is where I'm going to really start pulling some judgments about where my concerns are versus where my my hopes are. And I, and I think, you know, if they play like they did against New England, I mean, Seattle's very good, but they will have their chances against Seattle. I do think that Vanny, the way that he's handling his preseason, has done very well. He's picked a lot of very good teams. You know, he picked... You know, it, it's the same thing with World Cup warm-ups, right? Where you pick three teams that are kind of stylistically similar to the teams that you're going to see throughout the World Cup group stage. So that's why, like, for example, you know, when we went in 20, what was it, 2014? We drew Germany, um, uh, Germany, Ghana, and Portugal were in that group. And so they picked, they played Nigeria and Florida, you know, to replicate playing an African team in a humid environment. You know, they, they picked uh, Jamaica because Jamaica was relatively stylistically similar to Portugal. And then I can't remember who they closed out with, but it was meant to be stylistically similar with Germany. I think the Galaxy are kind of doing something like that. I mean, they played the Revolution, who's going to be a team that... But the Galaxy are doing it in the sense of the archetypes of the MLS teams that you see, right? So they played the Revolution, Bruce Arena, bog standard 4-4-2, isn't going to do anything flashy, is going to be solid, hard to break down, take their chances when they get, right? They play Seattle. They'll see Seattle multiple times this season. Yeah, a team that 
you know, plays some very stylistically interesting soccer, um, a team that has the best head coach in the MLS, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then they have DC United, who under Hernan Losada have turned into this like high press, high speed, high intensity team. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see how all those different, how like the Galaxy play against those different styles. But I think this game against Seattle is probably the, the, the strictest test they faced this preseason. And I think this is going to be, I think now Galaxy fans can start thinking about how all of this is going to map through the rest of the season. Yeah, and, and at the same time, I'm glad that there's still exhibition games to be had. This is where, like you said, the Galaxy can uh, find what their concerns are and like hopefully fine-tune things by the time, um, yeah, season starts. Um, you know, to face the Revs, who are the Supporters' Shield um, defenders, and then to obviously face Seattle, who are always uh, MLS Cup contenders, while you want to leave the past in the past and like kind of start fresh at the same time it's like look at what the galaxy are up against and look at what they're able to do so we'll have to see how that Golchella match pans out um but also yeah take it with a grain of salt because it is preseason it, it's an interesting time uh especially since this is the first Golchella and I mean I know we keep calling it that Coachella is a real valley and the people who live there <laughs> really you know it's Coachella um but I'm I'm wondering how are we going to be able to watch it? They haven't really announced yet. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's probably going to be a live stream on, on the website. Um, I'm just bummed they're not letting fans in because I bought so many cute outfits for it. I'm so bummed. Um, oh, no. I guess I'm going to have to actually go to Coachella to wear them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think this is going to be interesting. Um, I'm a little – I actually am a little surprised. They invited LAFC out there. I'm surprised they're not getting a preseason game in against LAFC. I would have I, I would have been intrigued by that because I, I, I think – under Torundolo, that's going to be a really interesting experiment coming up next year. But, but yeah, I, I do think, you know, they scheduled the toughest preseason possible, and that mm-hmm. can be good because it's started really good. It can also be bad if it goes really bad, and so um, I think this game against Seattle, it's going to be a very interesting test to see where the Galaxy feel they are at this point in the preseason. I. I'm, I'm interested also to see the starting 11 they choose because they went strong against the Revs. It wouldn't surprise me if we see a couple of the younger kids and the college draft kids and if there's any trialists in the camp, maybe get a run out in that first half against Seattle. Um, like I said, I'd like to see a little bit more from Utatu. I didn't see enough to really make a value judgment about what he could offer. Um, you know, I'd like to see more Jalen Neal. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm a little biased on that front because uh, mm-hmm. of the article I wrote last year, and, and I, I think he's a fantastic player. Um, I, I do. I would like to see a little bit more of that. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they do that, but um, the, the one kind of thing I'm, I'm really looking for is how that midfield operates and how, you know, Delgado continues to fit into this team. And then if, and, and you know, well, I guess this is going to be our segue into this. If Douglas Costa is coming to the Galaxy. How yeah. how that's gonna look? Because I I think that's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, we're basically just waiting for the announcement, um, with the exception of one other player. Uh, when the Galaxy take you to a Lakers game, it's pretty much official. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a done <laughs> deal. But you know, so we're just waiting for the announcement, and I understand the apprehensiveness 
with that, especially when your expectations as a Galaxy fan and, and trauma as a Galaxy fan, um, that, that you want, you know, who you want them to sign and the big forward and the, you know. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to match uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Chicharito. I hope he stays healthy because, yeah, he's, he's stellar and... And he's definitely earned my respect. I can't say that enough. I, I think with Douglas Costa, this is a really big gamble. Like, this is huge. Mm-hmm. Because he was great at Shakhtar Donetsk at the time that they were fantastic. He was very good at Bayern. He was very good at the beginning for Juventus. He went to Brazil, and the wheels came off. Now, he was at a weird club situation in Gremio. I will fully admit that. But... Juventus couldn't move him fast enough when it started to go bad. And I just think looking at the Galaxy and every time they've made a gamble for the past, I'd say, five years, they've only gotten two right, which was Alessandrini and Pavon. This has got to work. This has to work for the Galaxy. Do I think it will? I have my doubts. (laughs) But if they can get it to work... He will be a 12-goal tennis guy in this league. Easy. If he plays like he did at Bayern, Shakhtar, or Juventus when it was good, 12 goals, 10 assists, easy call. But if he yeah. plays like he did at Gremio, we could be looking at like a two-goal, one-assist year, and that's my concern. And we have to give him the MLS adjustment grace period that we give a lot of these guys? Yes, but the money the Galaxy are going to, to spend to get mm. this done, I don't know necessarily if he, if he gets that. And especially in a league where we had teams bring in, for example, Lorenzo Insigne in Toronto, and then, of course, Sheridan Shakiri announced today in Chicago. Those move the needle, right? Like, those are signings that the international community looks at and says, oh, hey, you know, like, there's something here in MLS. I don't know if Dilgush Costa does that. And I think that speaks to a, a wider thing about the Galaxy right now about what's the intention, what's the plan, what are we doing? He's got to work because I think, you know, Chris Klein at all, you know, Johan Kurbowski and, and, and everyone involved in that, in that backroom staff, they know, they have to know the pressure's on on them, right? They, they have to be aware of that. I mean, we've seen it on Twitter. We've seen it on Facebook, you know, yada, yada, yada. They have to get this one right and they have to get the season right in general. And I think that's... <laughs> We, we, we have marketed our podcast on positivity, and we've, we've had some moments in this, in this episode, but my kind of one moment of lack of positivity is I think this season is huge for a lot of people that are involved in the backroom staff of the Galaxy, and if they get this thing wrong, there will be very serious repercussions. And with that... Uh, thank you so much for joining us once again for season four. And uh, I've already got notes for what we're going to have to talk about next week. So stay tuned. Excited. And uh, if you are listening on your podcast app machine, uh, give us five stars. Leave a nice note because um, it helps us find more awesome people like you. And we think you're awesome and you think we're awesome. So awesomeness. And let's bring more people into the awesome. So um, thank you for everything and uh, talk to you soon. Thank you.